sensational. And welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and this will be my week one Australian Open 2020 recap. So this has been a pretty crazy week in the tennis world. Um, there's been a lot of upsets, especially on the women's side, and uh, we'll definitely get to that here in a while. Uh, but there's just been a lot of crazy stuff going on in the sports world in general. Um, before I really get into anything, I think I, I should mention uh, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. So I, I live in America. I, uh, I'm i a basketball fan, uh, kind of generally. I, I was a much bigger basketball fan back when I was uh, a young teenager. I, I watched the Chicago Bulls a lot as a kid. I, I rooted for Michael Jordan. Um, I watched uh, the three NBA championships that he won in in the mid to late '90s. Uh, so those were were big years for me in terms of basketball. Um, and and I kind of tailed off after I got into college, uh, but I I definitely kept abreast of everything. I, I watched you know still watched some basketball and and everything, but um, I I knew. Obviously, Kobe Bryant, I watched him play quite a bit, and I, I was a fan of Kobe. He was a fantastic player, and, um, you know, it seemed like he was content in his post-basketball life. Um, he had children, and unfortunately, uh, he passed away yesterday uh, morning in a helicopter accident, along with his, I believe, 13-year-old daughter and seven other passengers as well. And it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's tragic all around. It's tragic for, for Kobe Bryant, the loss of him. Uh, it's tragic for the loss of his daughter. It's tragic for the other people who were in the helicopter. Um, apparently, they were headed towards a, a youth basketball. Uh, I don't know, I can't remember if it was a tournament or if it was just a, a youth basketball uh, game. Um, but apparently it was it was a bit foggy out, and that may have contributed somewhat to um, to the accident. And again, that's all. It's from what I've heard. Uh, but again, it, nothing. I don't know if anything official has come out. But I, I do remember reading that this morning. But look, at the end of the day, um, any loss of life, regardless of whether or not it is a celebrity or a you know, celebrity, uh, celebrity in general, uh, uh, celebrity sports person, or just um, you or I. Any loss of life is tragic, um, but you know uh, it's notable that that Kobe has passed away because he was such a a big person within the sports community around the world. Uh, obviously, basketball is very big around the world. Kobe was very popular. And so, um, and he was popular in the tennis world as well. He was an avid tennis fan. He loved, he loved tennis. Um, he was often at the U.S. Open. Um, he was there watching a lot of matches. Somebody who genuinely loved the game. He wasn't just there to take pictures and just be around, you know, tennis professionals. Uh, he was there because he loved the sport itself. Um, I believe he wrote a book about tennis, um, and uh, it was a children's book. And uh, I believe he he won, I think he won an Academy Award for it. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but I think he did win an Academy Award for that. If it wasn't for that, it was for something else. But the fact is, he was a big tennis fan, and his loss will be felt in general. Obviously, the basketball world is mourning him. The sports world. Is mourning him, but you know the tennis community is also mourning him because he he was a great person within his profession. He was a fantastically talented basketball player, but he was someone who genuinely loved tennis, and uh, I will miss him for a great many things. But part of that is the love that he had for tennis. So. 
I wanted to talk about that before we get started on uh, the Australian Open review for week one. Okay, so before we get into that, I do want to mention something, which is uh, the lifetime ban that's been given to Brazil's Joao Souza. Now, um, let me clarify, because when I heard that Joao Souza was being given a lifetime ban, I immediately kind of, I want to say I flipped out, but I was really, really surprised because I'm thinking, wow, this, this guy is a player who, um, you know, he's, he's probably, you know, 60th, 65th in the world, something like that. And I thought, I thought that that was, um, crazy that this guy has, uh, has been given a lifetime ban. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it in a lot of ways. Um, so immediately I thought, wow, you know, this guy's gonna, this guy's gonna be out for, for life. And I, and I couldn't believe it. Um, but then I looked into it a little more and realized, ah, well, that's why that's a little confusing because Giles Souza, there's two Giles Souza's is what I'm getting at. Giles Souza from Portugal, right? And that's the Giles Souza that I, I, I initially associated with, uh, the lifetime ban. Um, but it's really Brazil's Joao Souza. It's a little confusing. Uh, uh, the Portuguese Joao Souza is S-O-U-S-A, whereas the Brazil's is S-O-U-Z-A. Uh, just one one letter difference here, one, one change, but it's a big deal. They're both nearly the same age. Again, something that could be a little confusing. Uh, Brazil's Joao Souza is 31. Portugal's Joao Souza is 30. Uh, but the point here is that uh, Brazil's Joao Souza who's the one that's being given the lifetime ban, he has been found to have, um, he has basically been found to have uh, committed numerous, um, I guess, crimes, I suppose, really is what it comes down to. Um, he's been given a lifetime ban, a fine of $200,000 for game manipulation and other corruption crimes by the Tennis Integrity Unit, and and that was on uh, this past Saturday. Uh, the investigation apparently found uh, that he uh, that there were games that were pinned on by the ATP Challenger and ITF Futures events in Brazil, Mexico, United States, and Czech Republic. Um, so really, what this comes down to is just max match fixing is what's what's going on here. Um, he apparently didn't cooperate um, with the tennis integrity unit as well. Um, and really what this comes down to is this guy will never, is, is, I mean, as far as I know, he will never um, play a, a sanctioned event for the rest of his, his playing days, the rest of his life, really. Um, now, that being said, I mean, this guy, uh, this Giles Souza was originally... Um, yeah, his highest ranking was 69th in the world. All right, so that was in April April 6th of 2015. Now his current ranking is 742. Uh, but but this guy did have you know a modest amount of success. He's played in every Grand Slam, um, at least once. So, you know, it's a shame though. At the end of the day, it's a shame. Um, Match fixing is something that, that I know tennis has really been going after. And uh, I do hope that this, which is tragic um, to see this happen to anybody. Um, I mean, I don't feel bad for the guy, but it's tragic for the sport to see this happen. But I do hope that this helps to, der, to deter um, other match fixing as, you know, time goes by. You know, if more of these... Uh, players that do participate in match fixing and other you know corruption within tennis are brought down that it eventually helps to clean up the lower levels of the game which is where inevitably all this seems to happen it's um you know players that are ranked often well outside the top 100 players that need um you know are trying to to make money um, so they use match fixing and other ways to to do it and look this brings up a whole other discussion uh, regarding you know, prize money and, and getting, giving more prize money to lower-ranked players and Grand Slams and other tournaments so that this doesn't happen. I mean, that's definitely a discussion that needs to be had, and that's something that I know tennis has been doing 
um, a lot more over the last uh, 10 years or so. Um, Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, and others have helped to kind of push this. Um, and it's working, but I think there's more work to be done. Uh, but it's it's not just that. It's just, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these players can make good money by doing this. And uh, unfortunately, this has resulted in his lifetime ban, uh, which is also in no small, no small part due to the fact that he was uh, seemingly unwilling to cooperate whatsoever with the um, tennis integrity unit. And that uh, probably did not help uh, his cause in their decision. Uh, so I wanted to cover that briefly before we move on. All right, and uh, something else I wanted to bring up here was the fact that Juan Martín del Potro announced that um, he will be requiring another surgery for his right knee. Uh, obviously, this is a big deal, right, because um, he was out for for much of last year. And uh, he got that surgery, and uh, you know there were doubts last year at one point as to whether or not he would retire. Uh, but he decided to get the surgery. But it appears that that one wasn't enough. He's going to get another surgery, which means he's still going to be out for probably a significant amount of time. There's no real timetable yet uh, that I could find where it stated how long they they felt he was going to be out after this surgery. Um. Honestly, I'm I'm thinking that uh, if we see Del Potro before before the U.S. Open this year, I'll, I'll be surprised. Really, um, I hate to say it, but um, you know, any kind of knee surgery it takes a while to recover from that. Then you have to do the rehab, right? It's not it's just it, not just the recovery; it's also the rehab that goes into it. So. You know, and that that takes a while, and then you got to work yourself back into the kind of tennis shape that you need to be in to go out and play the game. So it's it's just a process, you know. I, th- I think we're looking at probably somewhere in you know eight months or more. I think honestly, before we see Del Potro possibly back on the the tennis court. So uh, it's a real shame for the big fella. Um, you know, I, I like Del Potro a lot. I don't think there's a single... There can't be. I, I can't imagine there is a, a tennis fan out there. Even if he's not your favorite player, even if you you know favor anybody else, whether it be Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, Murray, to anybody, really, how can you not feel for this guy? He's been through so much in his career, so much. Uh, the, only, the only player that I can honestly say probably has been an injured as much as he has has been Nadal and you know thankfully Nadal has been able to come back um, quicker from his injuries uh, but Del Potro is a bigger person I mean he's a bigger you know player uh, he's he's taller he carries more weight his joints uh, undergo a lot more stress I think than a lot of other players just due to his height and weight I mean you know, players like Isner, Karlovic, anybody on tour that is much taller and it, you know carries more weight on that frame, it's just difficult to come back from injuries. Um, and it's just easier to get injured, I think, as well. But it's a shame. It really is. This guy, honestly, and I've said this before and I'll continue to say this, if Del Potro had been healthy for much of the last 10 years, I would probably bet my house <laughs> that he would have at least six, five or six Grand Slam titles. At least. Uh, I think Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, I think everybody has less, obviously. I guess they would. But everybody would have less Grand Slam titles than they currently have. Del Potro being out has allowed has allowed some of the players that that we've seen, you know, gather up all the riches like Nadal and Federer and Djokovic, and uh, you know, not having someone like Del Potro to be a, a counterbalance to be someone who kind of breaks into the big three or big four and disrupts them, um, it's a problem. 
you know, in that you feel like he's missed out on on so much, and we've missed out on so much because with him out, it it just takes um, something away from the game. Um, this would have been an adversary, somebody for these, you know, for all these great players to go up against, someone that they clearly fear on the tennis court, and they all do. So he's just, I mean, he's been. He's been when he's back and he's healthy. He's been scary, and he's beaten the top players, all of them, just in the last few years. Um, but he just can't stay healthy, and it's it's just a real shame. And I, and I miss the big fella, so I do wish him a speedy recovery, and I hope to see him on the tennis court sooner rather than later. I like to see him, you know, play over the next you know two or three years, you know. He's in his 30s now. I'd like to see him play for the next two or three years healthy and see if he might be able to at least nab himself one more Grand Slam before it's all said and done. But let's just see him get healthy now, and then we'll move forward. Um, all right, so let's move on to set two. That, of course, is set one. And let's talk about the Australian Open. Uh, week one and in change. Uh, you can almost really call this week one and a half uh, review. Um. Because I, you know, I'm not getting this out as early as I wanted to. My plan was to get this out on Monday. Um, I was out all this weekend. I I wouldn't have been able to get it out on Sunday. Uh, so my plan was Monday, but um, those plans fell through. Uh, I wasn't able to get home in time to record and get this out. So it's a Tuesday evening recording. Unfortunately, it's not really what I wanted. Uh, but uh, you know, here it is. It's just one of those things, and. Um, you know, I actually let me hold up a second before I get into doing the review. Let me let me first say this. Um, I'm I'm gonna start trying to do more recordings during Grand Slams. So um, I'm gonna try and get an episode out if possible every day during Grand Slams. So rather than doing a preview and then doing a mid-tournament review, I'm going to try and do one every day. Now, that might require me to use a, a portable microphone uh, if I'm when I'm out. Um, I might not be recording in, in studio. So I, I'm getting a microphone. It's being shipped to me. It should be here tomorrow. I'm going to do some testing and uh, I might try to get more recordings out that way. So I'll be recording with a portable microphone and with my phone. Um, so I, I don't know yet the quality from what I've listened to. It seems like the quality is really good, actually. Um, so I'm not, uh, I'm not entirely sure yet. So I'm going to test it out. But that's my plan. So if I am out and about, if I have my notes ready, which I, I, I will have them you know, all ready to go, I can you know, sit in my car and and do a recording, uh, which actually, you know, a car is actually a really great place to record, uh, if you don't know that. Um, so anyway, that's the plan, and it, you know, at least in the early stages here, so come uh, Roland Garros and, and maybe even some of these Masters uh, 1000 uh, tournaments, I might try and do it there, um, but it's in the early stages here. I've got to test everything out. I've got to make sure that I can kind of do this before I really commit to it. But I'm giving you a kind of a heads up as my as to what my plans might be regard regarding uh, you know future recordings, especially at the Grand Slams. Now, that way, I'm not going through and trying to recap so much in a whole week. Uh, I've got to cherry pick because if I don't cherry pick, you know the things. That I've picked, you know, watched the matches, that I've watched the upsets and and all that stuff. Um, I'd be, you know, doing a two-hour or more episode uh, just to get this stuff out. So, um, yeah, so that's the plan. That would allow me to get uh, relatively quick episodes. I could, I could do, you know, a 15-20 minute episode and get the, the day's action and recap it and and talk about it. Uh, whereas now I'm I'm trying to to pick out the things that I think really uh, were important or the losses that were surprising, the wins that were surprising, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking to do. All right, so let's uh, actually get into this. So my, my Australian Open week one and change review. So, uh, you know, 
instead of of talking about specific matches um like I did in the past and I, I did this at the US Open I want to pick winners and losers uh for the week. So uh first up on the winners list is Nick Kyrgios. So as anybody who's listened to this podcast knows, I'm I'm not a big Nick fan. I'm not um I'm not a big fan of the Nick that's self-destructive on the tennis court and smashing rackets left and right and barking at the umpires and yelling at the fans and the lines judges and the ball boys and and all of that stuff, right? That's that's not the Nick I want to see. I want to see the Nick that I saw this week. I want to see the Nick that I, I saw against Rafa Nadal. And that Nick is a Nick that I will root for. I want to see this Nick. I want to see this Nick consistently. If I could see this consistently, that would be amazing. And I think if Nick could do that, I mean, I don't mean boring. I mean, you know, focused, you know, playing within himself, point to point, out there, giving it his all, trying. Um, That's the Nick that I want to see. Uh, the, the match against Nadal, it was, it was high quality. Yeah, there was a there was a, a times here and there in the match where you could tell both players were a little a little shaky, a little nervous, um, in small stretches. But but for the most part, it was a pretty high quality match. He kept his cool. Uh, there was one broken racket, okay, um, but beyond that, he kept his cool and composure. And and that's just that's the Nick I want to see because you know even though he lost this match. It's these these are the kind of losses that get you to the wins eventually, okay? Um, you 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 lose these matches. You give it your all. You analyze, you know, what you were doing wrong. You look at situation situation specific uh, points and and what you need to do next time. Uh, that's how you improve. Uh, and you know, I think with Nick, and I've I think I've said this before on the podcast. If you don't try, then you don't really have to um, accept the blame for the loss to a certain extent. You can just go, well, I didn't really try. So if I didn't really try, then you know, do I really have to take the blame for the loss? Do I have to take ownership of the way I played if I really didn't go out there and give it my all? Because nobody wants to go out there. Not really. Nobody wants to go out there and give it everything they've got only to come up short. Because then that makes you question, am I good enough? Am I really good enough to go out there and beat these players? Am I good enough to lift a Grand Slam trophy? Because um, it's, a, it's a humbling moment. and But you have, to, you have to have those moments. You have to humble yourself enough to know that I've got, I've got to improve. And I think that Nick has been reticent to do just that over the years. It's why he goes out there and he will will play terribly against you know low ranked players. Um, the only time it seems like he really tries is when he goes up against the Nadals and Djokovic's and Federer's because they they do provide him a challenge. But you have to do that consistently, and it's not just against the great players. You have to do that every match and this was a great match I, I just I want to see him do it often all the time I will root for him I will I will root for his victory uh, I won't re- I won't root for the for his victory if he's going to go out there and do the old Nick stuff if he's going to go out there and smash rackets and bark at everybody and and just do the Nick stuff of old uh, I, I don't really want to see that it's truth I just I don't I don't want to see it it's not that's not my jam. That's not what I want. It's, you know, it's uh, it, it has its own appeal. I get that. Uh, I I don't want him to be boring. Bring the flair. Bring the fun. Bring the fire. Bring all that stuff. That's great. But if you could bring all of that and yet still remain focused enough on the the match at hand, that's the Nick I want to see, and that's the Nick that I think could be very successful on the court, winning Grand Slam titles and entertaining players and just being interesting and that's great and and hopefully that's what happens uh so nick was uh, a winner uh roger now 
I, I'll tell you what. Honestly, I try in a lot of ways to kind of not put the big three on here. Um, because they're, they're, um, the standard is set so high for them that in a lot of ways to be on the winner's list, you have to really be playing out of your mind tennis, you know, like at an unbelievable level because generally they are playing so well. So it's like, okay, you know, they're playing, they're playing really well. All right. Does, does that really, do they need to be on the winner's list for that? Not really. So the, the winner's list for Roger is is kind of a weird one. I, I went back and forth on this. I can't decide whether Roger's a winner on my list out of sheer luck or if it's because of like the unwavering will to win that, that he possesses. But ultimately, I would say it's a bit of both. Um, see, the thing is, uh, the two matches with two different opponents who had him dead to rights and he found a way to survive... I mean, John Millman was up, I believe, 8-5 in the tiebreaker on his serve, and he could not close it out. And then, you know, even worse, I mean, that was just like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I, I couldn't believe that Millman could not find a way to close it out. So then he goes up against uh, Tennis Sangren, and Sangren had seven, yes, seven match points and he failed to convert on any of them and and like Millman it was mostly on his racket he was the one hitting balls into nets Roger was just kind of getting the ball back in the court it wasn't like he was out there um you know doing all of that and, and kind of forcing the issue I mean they're, they're calling it the the miracle of Melbourne and in in a way, it's it's true because it is kind of miraculous that he's even here. I mean, he even acknowledged it, you know, and uh, he was very upfront about the fact that that to be honest, he's very very lucky to be in the semis. Um, he he did basically he did just enough. In a lot of ways, both Millman and Sangren blinked. They they made the mistakes. They hit the balls out into the net. Um, they should have won. Millman should have won it. Sangren definitely, you know, with seven match points, definitely should have won it. Uh, and they didn't. But hey, that's that's why you play every point. That's why that's why you don't give up even when you think you're down and you're out. And Roger found a way to survive, and that's why he's on this list because he he you know pulled a Houdini. He had some help there but you know he didn't stop fighting he didn't he didn't make the error on match point to give either player the victory okay well i guess i guess really well millman didn't have a, a match point at all but you know he was two points away uh but neither uh match had roger blink at the end he kept the ball in play he he was just trying to be a bit of a backboard there. He was forcing Sandgren and Millman to be the aggressor and they got shaky and they lost. Um, all right. So Stan Wawrinka is next on this list. Uh, this, this is the best Stan has looked since his surgery period. And I was like, what else do I put here? I, I look, he beat Medvedev, um, which was a bit of a, a bit of revenge because of the the match against in the U.S. Open, where Medvedev beat Stan. Stan looked like he was running away with it early, um, and then you know he lost steam. And then we found out afterwards that he was sick, um, and he was down and out. I mean, he was he was in bad shape after that loss. Um, so in a lot of ways, the Medvedev victory, which was in five sets, it wasn't an easy victory uh, for Stan, but uh, it was a it was a bit of almost karmic justice in a lot of ways, I think, and probably in Stan's mind. Uh, but he played great, and he has played great um, going into the quarterfinals here, uh, which is, is going to be fun, I think, for Stan. I, I, you know, he's really playing well. Um, he's going up against Alexander Zverev here in the quarters. So uh, next up would be um, Alexander Zverev, actually. So... I've been pretty tough on Zverev 
uh, the last year for him in particular has been pretty terrible. Um, true, he's had some real success at the Masters Series level, Masters 1000. Um, he's won multiple Masters 1000s, but uh, he he hasn't played well because of, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the ways the reasons that I said uh, his forehand has often been a liability. His serve, especially in the second half of last year, it was absolutely dreadful. He was making double faults left and right. He often had more double faults than he had aces in matches. Um, I didn't see this coming, to be honest. I really didn't. I know Becker, uh, Boris Becker, uh, has been helping him out and is in his camp, but still, I just I didn't see I didn't see it. I didn't see this kind of form. I didn't see him come in here and just, I mean, he hasn't dropped a set at all. Um, he's flying completely under the radar. And I think it's because a lot of people just don't know what to expect from him. Um, they expect him to lose early because that's basically what he does. He gets into a five-setter, he loses, and and on to the next tournament. Um, but this is his, his breakout in a lot of ways. Um you know, okay, fine. He had the um, the breakout in 2017 against Nadal. It took Nadal five sets, uh, but it, it's really it's been the best he's looked at a Grand Slam, I think, since 2017. Here, uh, that tells you how long it's been since Zverev has really been able to put together a really great run at a Grand Slam, and, and this has been the best he's looked, um, and I think it's the best he's ever looked at a Grand Slam. Um, so that's going to be interesting. We'll see what happens here. But uh, hey, this is great. This is wonderful. I was starting to wonder if maybe, you know, with all the talent he has, I mean, maybe he could could have been one of those players that you go, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. He had a lot of talent, but he could never put it together. Not really. Not where it mattered most. And look, he still has a ways to go. We got to see what happens here. And, and this season is going to be a big thing because – you know he's now you know entering into his mid twenties now, uh, you know he's he's not twenty years old, um, he's not a twenty year old young scrapper anymore. Uh, he's somebody who needs to start putting t- things together, and, and it looks like he's doing that so far. So let's see what happens in this tournament. But uh, it's a great run for him, and it's nice to see. And last up on this list is Tennis Sangren. So. Uh, Tennis had a fantastic tournament. Um, he should be heading into the semis against Novak. Uh, we alluded to the the seven match points that he he had against Roger, failed to capitalize. But look, even with the loss, it's still a great run for him. He had uh, a great win a couple of a great run a couple of years ago um, at at the uh, I believe the U.S. Open, um, and that was really nice to see. But but still, this has been this has been the best I've seen. Sandgren play in a lot of ways because uh, he really went toe to toe and took out some people and and like I said he basically had Roger beat in the fourth set, um, so but a great like I said a great run for him and uh, you know he's the last on the winners list on the losers list um, first up is Stefano Tsitsipas. So Sitsipas losing in straight sets to Milos Raonic, like it was just something I didn't see. If I didn't see Alexander Zverev playing as well as he's played in this tournament, I didn't see Stefano Sitsipas losing, especially in straight sets. Um, Raonic, you know, he's got the big serve, he's got you know a big forehand, but he's not a great mover. Uh, once you get into a rally with him, more often than not, um, you're gonna have a good chance of winning that point. Uh, unless you hit something really short and he gets on the offensive. Um, but Raonic hasn't played much over the past year. Um, it's It's been a rough, what, probably two and a half years for Raonic. Um, maybe three years, really. He hasn't, he hasn't had a lot of success. And, I mean, he's had the odd decent run here. I think he played, made the uh, quarters in Australia, I believe, was it last year or the year prior? Um, so, I mean, he's had, you know, a decent run here and there, but it's, it's been spotty. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, but 
I, I just I didn't I didn't think it was gonna end up in a, a loss for Sitsipas, and definitely not in straight sets. I mean, Sitsipas has a complete game that should have allowed him to negate uh, what Raonic, you know, has in terms of a game. I mean, the serve's big. That's he's gonna get his aces, but. You're also going to get looks at second serves, and if you get the the ball back into play, that should give you uh, probably a sixty percent chance, I think, to win a rally, especially if you don't make a lot of errors. But Sissipas just looked terrible. He just he didn't look like he was confident at all in court. He didn't look like he wanted to really even be there in a lot of ways. It just it looked bad. But um, yeah. I don't know what it is. Call it the pressure from having to defend the points from last year. I don't know. But he just didn't look like he was really there, to be honest. Next up is John Isner. Um, look, I, I love John. Um, he's been a stalwart for the U.S. Uh, for years. But I'm starting to wonder if this may very well be, you know, the end uh, for Isner. If this might be his last year on tour. Uh, he's having real trouble staying healthy in a lot of ways, like like uh, uh, Del Potro. Uh, not as bad as Del Potro, not as consistently, but I mean, in the in kind of the short term, yeah. You know, he's he's been dealing with like a calf issue for what, at least since um, Miami of last year against Roger, but even before that, he was dealing with some issues. Um, he had that great match, obviously at Wimbledon. Um, Against um, what was it? Uh, was it? No, it was the year prior. Actually, sorry, it was the year prior. Yeah, against uh, uh, Kevin Anderson. So it was the year prior. Um, but yeah, the the calf issue that it, that happened in Miami. But even before that, he was dealing with some issues. It's just it's been rough for John. Um, he's he's been spotty in playing tournaments at all, really. Uh, and this really is, it, he had to retire, you know, he didn't even play a full match, he retired, and so it, it's just, it's been, it's been difficult, so he's not long stretches due to injury, and it just seems like the wear and tear of the tour over the years is really beginning to take its toll on him, I don't know how, how much he's got left in the tank, um, we'll see what he does this year, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, we got to the U.S. Open this year, and he kind of made an announcement right before the U.S. Open starts that, you know, this is my last tournament, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, again, I could be wrong, and, you know, he could play next year too. But he's in his 30s now, um, you know, heading into his mid-30s. So, you know, he you know, he's he's played a lot of tennis over his, over his um, career. Uh, next up is David Goffin. Um you know, David, for me, came into the U.S. Open with some momentum. Uh, he played very well at the ATP Cup. He beat Nadal in straight sets in the process. Uh, I thought he could make a, a deep run here, you know, a quarters, semis kind of thing. But, you know, he didn't. Um, you know, he lost uh, earlier, far earlier than I expected him to lose in the third round. It's not the worst. It's not like, like he lost in the first round like Sissipas did. But I, I did. I expected better from Goffin, and and ultimately, you know, he didn't uh, play well enough. But given the way he came into the tournament, I thought, okay, you know, the guy's playing excellent tennis. I thought maybe he had a chance here to do something, you know, pretty cool. But, you know, it, it just didn't happen. And, and the last on my list is uh, Denis Shapovalov. Speaking of first-round losses, uh, losing to Martin uh, Fuksovics was a surprise, to say the least. I know that Dennis has... Um, Still, some some growing to do as a player. Uh, he's he's got some rough edges to his game. He needs to work out. But there's a lot of talent there. We've seen what he can do. He played really really well at the end of last year. The Davis Cup was was a great performance by him. Um, you know, even going into like the ATP Cup and everything else. I mean, I thought he could really make some noise here. And you know, look, uh, Martin Fixovic is is a good player. Um, but Shapovalov has got the firepower, and he just didn't. Um, he just didn't play very well. Ultimately, I mean, well, no, no. Let me let me say. I can't say he didn't play well. It wasn't like he got blown off the court completely. As a four setter, there were a couple of tie breaks in there. It easily could have gone his way, and who knows what would have happened. So I can't say he didn't play well. But 
he still lost to a player that I think he's got more talent than and I think more firepower. But ultimately, I think Shapovalov needs to, you know, hit the hit, hit the uh, tennis court. I think he needs to work on some of those things in his game. Um, he he goes for the low percentage, you know, shot the the one that looks amazing far too often. There are times that I feel like he needs to play a little more conservative, get the ball back into play, stop going for the high percentage winner that looks cool. Um, and and just don't don't be a shot maker only. And I, I still feel like there's too much shot maker and not enough just solid rally kind of player at times. Yes, I've seen him do it. Yes, he's had matches and stretches, but uh, he didn't really do it in this tournament. So um, he's my final, uh, I guess, loser. I, I it sounds terrible, I guess, to say that winners and losers, but you know he underperformed. Really is what it comes down to. Sissipas, Isner, Gofan, Chapovalov, they in particular, in my eyes, underperformed. So that's really what it comes down to. They just simply didn't perform to the standards I thought that they would perform to. Um, and on the WTA side, winners, uh, Sophia Kennan. So Kennan is in the semifinals now. Uh, she's had an incredible run. And I do mean incredible because she has a ton of talent, but she really just burst on the scene, you know, last year. Um, it's not like I didn't think she had it in her to do this kind of thing, make, make this kind of run, but I thought it was a year or two off for her. I really did. I didn't think it'd be in Australia of 2020. Uh, but here she is in the semis, and it it's it's a great, great run for Kenan, and she's played so well here. Um, next up is Coco Goff. I might get some eye rolls for this, but look, Coco didn't go as far as some thought she might, myself included, but I think like her U.S. Open run last year, we have to remember that she's still only 15 and getting better with each tournament. And she took out Naomi Osaka, the defending champion from last year, um, which is difficult. You know, Osaka was playing really well going into that match, and you know, I I didn't expect Coco to win in straight sets. Put it that way. All right. So, um, next up is Garbinia Muguruza, who's also in the semi. So, look, I'll be honest. Muguruza looked down and out over the last couple of years. I know she's been dealing with injury issues. But she's always, or she's also looked a bit listless out there. Uh, didn't really have the confidence. Hasn't really been, I don't know, invested. I guess uh, she's kind of been just floating along without really doing anything, you know, for a couple of years now. Um, I started to wonder if we, you know, we were looking at kind of the tail end of her career. If I'm being honest, I know she's still in her her she's in her mid to late twenties now. I think she's what twenty six or twenty seven. Um, she still has you know prime years left in her career and all, but the way she was looking over the last couple of years and you know the injuries that she was fighting through, I, I wasn't sure how much more you know great Ruth we were going to see. Uh, but this tournament has proved me wrong, and she has played not just well. I mean, she has played extremely well. I mean, she's been dominant in the first week and week and a half or week and change. Um, she's now in the semis and she's looking like she is a real threat to hold this this trophy. Um, she just beat Anastasia Pavlyachenkova. Uh, really, I mean, that match, the first set was... was Pavlyuchenkova was up a break twice in that set. Uh, Muguruza ultimately won it seven five, and then kind of ran away with it in the second set. But she's looked great, and she you know, she goes up against um, uh, uh, Simona Halep. That's like I can't believe I can't remember her name, but it was Simona Halep, and you know that's going to be a tough match. But I you know I think she has a real shot at taking down Halep. Um, so a great run for her in this, in this, uh, first week and change. All right. And, uh, next up is, um, I hope I get this right. Ans Jabor. 
she's had a great run here. That included wins over uh, Quang, uh, Wang and uh, Johanna Conta, as well as Caroline Wozniacki in her final match of her illustrious career. Uh, she has a big, muscular game. She really goes for her shots. Uh, there's a reason why she took out those players because she simply overpowered them, really, is what it, what it comes down to. So a, a great run for her here. And then a player I just mentioned before, uh, last on this list, Anastasia Pavlyachenkova. She took out Carolina Pliskova and Angelique Kerber en route to the quarters. Um, she looked to be in formidable form. Uh, going up against Muguruza, I really, honestly, I really thought that Pavla Chekova was going to win this, and she, unfortunately, she didn't. But it's still a great run for her. I think this is third, third year out of four years that she's made the quarters here. Uh, I think it was at 2017, 2019, and this year. Uh, that's really good. I mean, that's, that's, that's really consistently playing well here. Uh, I think the surface, this particular tournament, it plays well to her strengths out there. Um, and you know, having quarterfinal runs in three out of four years is, uh, you know, it, it's a sign that that's, uh, that's true. Um, all right. Uh, losers on this list, uh, or if you like to refer to them, underperformers, which is fine. Um, first up to me, for me, is Belinda Bencic. Uh, she lost to Annette Conavit. Now, Conavit made the quarters uh, before losing to Simona Halep, which, I mean, shows that Conavit was playing really well, right? But but still, losing 6-0-6-1 to Conavit, I mean, Bencic just, it didn't look like she could do anything out there, uh, which is scary because she has so much talent in, in her, her timing on the ball and her shot selection and everything else is just... It's amazing, right? Um, the amount of talent that she has, it's just... It, I, I'm sorry. I mean, even as well as Contavit was probably playing, it's it's still inexcusable to lose 6-0-6-1 in the first round of the Australian Open. Uh, if you're someone like Belinda Bencic, you're the sixth seed, you have that much talent, uh, the results to prove it. Um, yeah, it just, it just... It wasn't a good showing by her. Uh, next up, Naomi Osaka. And Naomi was playing well going into her match against Coco, but to be honest, she never looked comfortable on court uh, in that match. Um, she she just didn't she didn't serve all that well. Um, but at the same time, I think Coco was forcing her to try to go for more. Um, got her out of her rhythm. Uh, Coco just kind of kept the pressure on constantly and. Naomi just wasn't able to really put anything together at the end of the day um, in, you know, Coco won. Uh, but she was defending all these points. Uh, she's going to drop, uh, obviously, uh, from in terms of ranking. She just lost, um, I don't know how many points, around, what, like 1,700 or so points, something like that. Um, she's going to really drop in the rankings because of this, uh, which, you know, isn't the biggest thing. But still, I mean, it's it's a big drop for her. All right, so next up is Sloane Stevens. And, you know, I was sitting here and I was trying to, to think, how do I want to phrase this? And, you know, I was you know coming up with things in my head and I thought, you know, what I want to say sounds awfully similar to something I think I said at the U.S. Open. So I went back and I looked at, at my notes for the U.S. Open. And so I, I didn't change a thing, okay? I literally copied and pasted this because... It, it's the exact same it, it does it all fits <laughs> you know what I want to say here is the exact same thing same thing I said at the US Open and this is this is what I said in the US Open uh, when Sloan went out early and it's what I'm gonna say here uh, Sloan is searching searching for inspiration searching for desire searching for her game the end result is someone who often looks listless out there and it's not a pretty sight and that's it, folks. I don't know what else to say. I mean, Sloane Stevens, um, I, I know she she doesn't like to travel um, around the world. I think I don't think she likes to be away from friends and family. Uh, I know she thinks that the tour is very lonely and she doesn't like she doesn't like that aspect of it. I, I mean, I get all that. I, I really, really do. Um, 
but she's just she's just going out there. It just seems like she's going through the motions. If I'm being completely honest, uh, I don't I don't see the fire. I don't see the desire. I just see someone that's going out there and kind of doing the bare minimum. Um, she's losing early in grand slams, um, and then she just turns it on, you know, occasionally when she gets inspired or something. I, I don't know, um, but it's um. It's a shame because Sloane Stevens has as much talent as anybody out there on the tennis court, in the tennis world, on the women's side. Uh, she should be contending for Grand Slams all the time. Uh, instead, we get the one-off at the U.S. Open and then that that uh, run last year to the, the Roland Garros finals. That, that's, that's it. Uh, beyond that, Sloane's last... You know, several years have been, eh, okay. You know, she just goes, she she does what she's got to do. She loses early often, and that's it. And she goes home. Okay, fine. That's what you want to do. Go ahead. But um, you're underperforming by a, a lot, in my eyes. Um, All right, next up, Arena Sabalenka. So for me, Sabalenka... Um, She's considered one of the favorites in my mind coming into the tournament. Her game, her power, um, the way she hits the ball. It's just, you know, uh, Siva, It she's a, a good, young, good you know player, but I didn't think that Sabalenka was going to get ousted. Um, not in the first round. Uh, it's a real disappointment. I, I, I predicted Sabalenka to go far in this tournament. And uh, that definitely didn't happen. Um, but it's a real disappointment because I, I I just expected a little more out of her, you know. And I know she's been dealing with a few things um, off the court. You know, I'm not immune to that. I understand. But still, I, I she underperformed, though, on the tennis court. And um, I just thought that she would have a decent run at least. And... Last on this list, folks, um, Serena. It just, you know, it's just, it is what it is, right? I mean, look, the expectations for Serena are high. It's basically final at, at worst, you know, at, you know, winning it, <laughs> obviously, is what people expect. Um, I expected a deep run here for her as well. But look, uh, Serena went into that match against, uh, Quang Wang and and she she just wasn't playing great. I mean, part of that was due to to Wang back there just uh, being a complete wall. Um, Serena's finding a hard time just just getting the ball by her. You know, Wang was getting the ball back left and right constantly, being a backboard. Um, it was frustrating. Serena, she was going for too much on her shots, uh, making a ton of uh, errors. Her serve. Uh, was often missing, which has been a real problem for her for, for much of the last uh, 12 months or so in particular. But it's just, it's not been, it's not been good. It really hasn't been. And in this, I, I just thought that, uh, you know, she needed to dial back a little bit. She needed to just rally a little more and pick her spots and I just felt like the pressure I don't know if that's it was the pressure of the match or just the pressure of her opponent but she just didn't play great and I think in part that's due to her opponent playing so well uh, but also I just didn't think she played well in general you know her shot selection wasn't wasn't great she was hitting a lot of balls into the net especially off the backhand side um, hitting a lot of balls uh, long on the forehand side, um, she just couldn't get into a rhythm, and uh, it, it really showed. Um, all right, so let's go on to set three, which is my Australian Open week two and a half preview. Right, so because um, again, I'm not getting this out until till Tuesday night. So, um, Stan in the quarters against Alexander Zverev. Um, who am I going to pick here? Uh, I'm going to go with Stan. I, I love how well that Zverev has been playing, but I think Stan's going to have the firepower and the patience to to take out Alexander Zverev. I think Zverev has had a great run. 
but I don't think he gets past Stan here. Uh, Rafa Nadal versus Dominic Team. I've gone back and forth on this, if I'm being honest. You know, one moment I'm thinking Dominic's going to win. You know, he's he's shown what he can do against Nadal on a hard court. But I'm thinking Nadal is going to find a way to get past Team in four extremely tough sets. Which would set up a Stan Nadal semi. Um, and in the battle between Nadal and Stan, I think I think Nadal is gonna get past Stan. I do. I, I, you know, honestly, my picks for who gets to the final and the winners is gonna remain the same. I think Nadal gets past Stan. I think Djokovic. Honestly, I hate to say this, but I think Djokovic flies by Roger like, like, easily. Um. Rogers played two long, exhausting, frankly, five set matches. Two out of the last three matches for him have been five setters. Um, he he's lucky to be here. He knows it. I can't imagine that makes him feel all that confident going up against Novak, given the fact that he kind of realizes like I really probably shouldn't even be here, you know. Um, he's going going up against uh, Novak who. He's had some okay competition, you know, in, in this tournament, but he hasn't really faced anybody that I think has the game to really push him at all so far. Uh, if Roger was healthy, well, not healthy, but if he was rested, if he was, you know, just coming off a couple three-setters, then I would say this is much closer. But I think Novak gets past uh, Roger in straight sets, and um, that sets up the Nadal... Djokovic final that I picked to start the tournament and uh, I think the end result's the same I think I think uh, Djokovic beats Nadal I think it's a better showing than last year I think uh, Nadal takes a set but Djokovic wins in four and in lifts his eighth uh, Australian Open title um, and on the women's side uh in the semifinals, Ashley Barty versus Sophia Kennan. Uh, I love the run that Kennan's gone on, but I just think that Barty gets past Kennan. And uh, I just think her game is too much variety in her game. I think it's going to throw Kennan off enough that it's going to... Uh, it's not going to be easy, but I think I think Barty gets past Kennan in three. Uh, Simona Halep versus Muguruza. I think Muguruza wins this. I think she has the power and the game to out-hit and you know blow Simone Halep off the court a bit. I've seen Muguruza do this to Simone Halep on, on a hard court before. Um, I think Muguruza wins and goes up against Ashley Barty. I think it's a tough final. I think it's a tough nail-biting three-setter, but I think Ashley Barty... Uh, is able to get past Muguruza, and I think Ashley Barty lifts up her hometown trophy and wins her second Grand Slam and her first Australian Open. So those are my winners. Uh, Ashley Barty and Novak Djokovic, in my opinion, will be the um, Australian Open 2020 champions. And with that, folks, um, that's it. So you know, if you'd like to send in feedback, you can send it to the email. Uh, which is tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. You can also contact me on Twitter at, at tennisaddictpod and let me know what you think. Um, what my, you know, my thoughts on this past week and a quarter, whatever, week and a half. Um, are they in line with your thoughts? Do you agree with my comments? Do you not agree with them? My predictions for uh, the rest of this week and really the rest of this tournament. Um, so pretty much anything and everything, if there's anything you'd like me to bring up in the next episode, or if you'd like to just provide feedback for me to bring up, um, I can read it in the next, in the, the you know, the end of Australian Open, the wrap-up. I can read it there and, uh, you know, respond to, you know, whatever comments might be. So uh, anyway, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time on the Tennis Hunter Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Addict Podcast by Freaking Geeks Media. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Freaking Geeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, 
You can do so by sending your email to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. 